Welcome to Expanding Your Faith with Bishop Gregory Godsey and Father Matthew Schnabel. Expanding Your Faith looks at modern faith and spirituality questions, as well as conducts interviews with movers and shakers in different and varied faith traditions. Our broadcast is brought to you by the hardworking staff at the Office of Communications and Media Relations in the Old Catholic Churches International. Stay tuned as we work on expanding your faith. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast tonight, uh, uh, Expanding Your Faith. We're uh, having part two with uh, Rabbi in Training Haley Silver um, uh, to talk about uh, the Feast of Weeks and some other topics tonight. Hello, Haley. How are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. How about you, Bishop? I'm good. Thank you. And uh, so thankful to have you on here for part two. We so enjoyed part one. Uh, it's gotten a ton of views um, or listens, I guess on uh, Anchor and elsewhere, so uh, I take that to mean it was a great hit. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the Feast of Weeks. Uh, It started uh, just um, this past week or so. Uh, Tell us what it's about. Of course, Um, and just for everybody tuning in, um, my name is Haley. Um, I am a uh, rabbinical student candidate, and um, I use she, her pronouns, so um, that's just important. Basically, we just had this fantastic, incredible uh, holiday called Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. And what it is, is the culmination of the counting of the Omer. So we are commanded after Pesach, here on the second night of Passover, um, to begin counting the Omer. And we count until Shavuot, which is essentially a harvest festival. Um, it uh, It comes from, I believe it's in Deuteronomy. Uh, where, but I'm probably wrong about that, <laughs> where we are uh, supposed to offer our first fruits. No, I think I'm right about that. I think I got it right. Anyhow, um, we're supposed to offer our first fruits, but it has expanded um, and become more of a celebratory holiday of the receiving of the Torah or Matan Torah. And the way that it is celebrated is that we stay up um, all night for 24 hours, um, and or as long as we can, but we stay up all night um, and study Torah. It's really a lot of fun. Um, it comes from this beautiful midrash. So um, the rabbis have this, and our sages have this beautiful thing that we do where we um, have explanatory stories sort of written into our texts, and they're called midrash. Um, one of the midrash, uh, or midrashim, is that our um that we overslept on the night that we were meant to receive the torah and because we overslept we now stay up all night in anticipation of receiving the torah yet again um uh it is a holiday of celebration uh we celebrate it for three days um and then we start getting ready for summer uh, which is actually historically for the jewish people not a good time uh, summer is a um, historically uh, very uh, tragic time um, for the Jewish people. So we have uh, Shavuot, which is the last of these like beautiful celebratory holidays. Um, and then we go through a sort of mourning period, which um, ends a little bit after Tisha B'Av, which commemorates the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that is Shavuot. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful holiday. It is a lot of fun. We see ourselves the same way we see ourselves all leaving Egypt on Passover. We see ourselves all receiving the Torah. And there is um, another midrash that comes from uh, that comes from 
Loba Shemayim He. It's a verse that says um, the Torah. It actually, yes, it comes from Loba Shemayim He. Um, it says that uh, the Torah is not in heaven, but it is here for us. And we don't need to ask somebody to go get it for us. It's right here. Um, and we have the ability to interpret and respond to it. Um, and we see ourselves in the same uh, in the same parsha or the same Torah portion that discusses that. Um, it says that all Jewish people were there at the receiving of the Torah. And we take that to mean that all of us, including those who may later convert to Judaism, mm-hmm. Jews who were not yet born, all of us were there to receive the Torah. It is a choice that we made. So when people convert to Judaism, we actually see them as coming home because they were always with us from the beginning. They were always there um, at the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Uh, So that is Shavuot in a nutshell. Um, It is a lot of fun. There's a lot of learning to be had. Um, We also eat dairy foods because the Torah is seen to be as sweet as milk and honey. Um, So we eat dairy foods, uh, which means you need to take your dairy pills if you are like me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it is a beautiful, fantastic celebration. Excellent. So now kind of explain, because you you kind of mentioned it in passing, but you said that for the Jewish people, summer is kind of a a bad time, that it's it's not a lot of good things have happened uh, during summer for Jewish people. Can you kind of explain what that means? Of course. So um, our our cycle of holidays, like any sort of liturgical cycle, has these ebbs and flows. Um, we have these ebbs of emotional highs and emotional lows. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also tend to believe that history is like a shofar's horn. So if you've ever seen a shofar's horn, um, it's a ram's horn and it spirals forward. And the idea is that we return to the same place on a spiral, but we are always stepping forward into something new. So we follow that spiral, which means that every time we come around to the same holiday, we should be moving forward. But that cycle has that ebb and flow. And historically, for the Jewish people, there have always been, um, you know, attacks, sad things, um, uh, destruction, tragedy during the summer months. And so the summer months are an especially difficult time for the Jewish people. We specifically uh, recognize the siege of Jerusalem um, and then we recognize the destruction of the temple um, and shortly after that we come to Jewish Valentine's Day which is sort of the turning point on that. Okay. Very cool. Well, not cool necessarily. But not but <laughs> it, it is there and yes. it, it, we, you know, we as a faith similar to the Catholic faith, we don't shy away from the um, sad parts of our history. We wrestle with them and we sort of not make peace but learn from. So, so you speak about learning uh, the Torah during uh, the Feast of Weeks. And so um, kind of take us through what, um, uh, because this is a celebration that lasts uh, 40 days, right? Uh, so actually, that has just passed. So mm-hmm. the celebration does not last forty days. Okay. Um, uh, the, the counting of the Omer was fifty days. Okay. So that's the time. Um, Shavuot sort of marks the end of that. End of that. Um, okay. And um, yes. Yeah, so one of the things that is historically read, there are two sort of texts that are historically read in our calendar for Shavuot, and that is the story of the Book of Ruth, mm-hmm. which is a story about Chesed or loving kindness. Um, it is a story that speaks about taking the commandments upon oneself when we don't have to, mm-hmm. um, because Ruth is a convert to the Jewish tradition. 
Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful story from Red Ruth. Read Ruth. I love it. Um, and then the second thing that is done in many Spartac communities or uh, communities that are descended from Spanish Jewry um, mm -hmm. or uh, what if, yes, uh, from Spanish Jewry and from sort of that area, um, they read a ketubah. Uh -huh. So that is a Jewish marriage contract and it is a specific ketubah between Hashem, God, and the Jewish people. So um, we read this beautiful, uh, this beautiful marriage contract that binds God to us in the same way we are bound to God. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thank you. Um, any, if anybody has any questions in the chat uh, as we go along, please feel free to post them. <laughs> I speak much better when I'm answering questions than when I just have to come up with something. So. Content right off the fly, yes. <laughs> I understand that. So, um, explain to us what um, the um, counting of the Omar is, um, for those that don't know. Of course, so the counting of the Omer is essentially uh, the counting of, it is a Kabbalistic thing in addition to a um, practical thing, and it is basically counting of the time from sowing of the harvest, harvest to the reaping of the harvest. So we uh, reap on Shavuot and then give our first fruits to God. Um, so it is, uh, it is, each one of the days has a specific sort of Kabbalistic energy. It has a specific sort of spiritual energy. Um, and it is really an opportunity to get in touch with the ebb and flow that is in nature. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of look at, uh, and, and I had a discussion the other day with um, one of our rabbis here. We were discussing the um, Feast of Weeks, and uh, he asked me to come on and speak about Pentecost. And so, you know, tomorrow we celebrate Pentecost in the Christian faith. Yes. Which is kind of this whole process of uh, counting down uh, 40 days from uh, um, um, the uh, resurrection until Pentecost uh, and kind of the start of the church, um, what we consider the birth of the church. And so there seems to be a lot of parallels between the two um, because the receiving of the Torah also is kind of the beginning of the formalization of Judaism, correct? Yes. So yeah. um, that um, there's a lot of parallel there. And, and so there is a lot of parallel. And this was something that a lot of people didn't realize, I don't think, is there's a lot of parallel between Christianity and Judaism. Um, I often think that we are so much more similar than we are different. Mm -hmm. um, the truth of the matter is that uh, there's a lot of there's a lot in our liturgical calendar that is similar. Obviously, there's a lot in our text that's similar. Mm -hmm. um, and our uh, sort of the way that we go about things um, is we, we, are, we are very similar. We understand and respect sort of the tradition. Um, and then we have diverged in, um, in interesting ways. But mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I, I happen to be taking a, a wonderful rabbinic Judaism class right now. It's a history of rabbinic Judaism and mm -hmm. Second Temple era Judaism. And um, uh, there's a lot of give and take in the Christian and Jewish faiths from each yes. other. So it's really nice. There is. There is. We, we probably stole a lot from Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that. I would never ever say that. Oh, I will say that. But... <laughs> um, so, uh, 
I, I want to kind of move a little bit toward um, uh, another discussion that weighs heavy on everyone's mind, I think, right now, um, especially um, uh, American Jews and, and Muslims and um, people from the Middle East, uh, definitely, um, is all of the violence that has gone on in the Middle East over the last couple of weeks, um, which I think is... Um, uh, as you said, you know, summer is not the best time in the world for Jews. I think that's borne out here as we enter summer. Um, but I kind of like you to talk about your own feelings and thoughts about what you have seen uh, over the last several weeks um, uh, from what's gone on between the Jews and the Palestinians in the Middle East. Of course. Um, well, Obviously, this is a, it's a ridiculously tragic and upsetting um, time. Obviously, the violence and the lives lost is heinous. Um, I, and I think at the core of all of this is the understanding that we, like, we are losing people. People are dying, and that cannot be condoned, right? We can never trade a life for a life in any faith. Um, and so that weighs really heavy on me. Mm -hmm. um, and additionally, for many of us, um, American Jews, we have family in Israel. Um, for many, many of my friends are Palestinian. Um, it, is, it is a really tragic time. We're not talking about just some ideas and some political sort of ideation. We're talking about human beings who have yes. been lost. Yes. And I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in the rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in the outrage mm -hmm. without knowing what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and it does a disservice to Jews and Palestinians. It does a disservice to Israelis and Palestinians and Jews and Muslims across the world. Because for whatever reason, we are constantly seen as the face of our entire ethnic group, yes. always. So anything that a Jewish person does um, that is bad, that reflects on the entire ethnic group. Anything that a Muslim does that is bad reflects on the entire ethnic group, and that should not be the case. Great. But that is the case being a minority in America. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually, I, I wound up posting something just before Shabbat um, on my Facebook page because I have seen so many memes and I've seen so much, um, I've seen so much conversation and the conversation is important. It needs to happen. People need to be invested in this because there are human rights violations happening and they need to be condemned. And there are people losing their lives and that needs to be condemned. Um, so people should care about this topic. But I have been seeing a lack of nuance. And I have been seeing, um, and, and this is across the board, right? No matter where you stand on this issue. Um, so I posted something that said, please be aware that your words have consequences. They have a cost. And we are, we, Muslims and Jews, have to pay that cost when tensions are inflamed. Um, so it's really hard. I mean, I have had conversations with uh, children sitting in bunkers. Um, saying, you know, there, there's rocket sirens going off. Um, I have had conversations with due to um, due to the airstrikes 
in whenever there is a clash of violence, um, whenever whenever there is an escalation in those things, it makes things really difficult for people everywhere. Um, it's not just localized, and I think it goes to show that we all people are more connected than we like to believe that we are. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the things that came out of the pandemic for me, yes. is this notion that something can happen somewhere else and it, it affects us. Um, but it affects people in diaspora as much. So, um, so uh, diaspora meaning away from uh, Israel if you're Jewish, or um, if you're a Palestinian refugee um, in, in your wherever you are. So it is, um, it is difficult. Um, yeah, there has been a huge um, uptick in anti-Semitism. I think something like four hundred and thirty-eight percent increase in anti-Semitism in the past ten days. Um, now it's twelve days, I believe. Um, there, uh, there have been demonstrations. There have been um, people, you know, doing all sorts of heinous things. Even in my hometown, uh, people broke down. Uh, vandalized stores and, and um, you know, beat people up. Uh, it's not a good time for any of us. So, that's not great. And, you know, I, I, I'm not Jewish, so I, I only speak as a member of a faith community, but um, one of the things that strikes me um, so much is you know, we have, yes, Hamas uh, fires uh, mortars and things into Israel. Uh, these are usually unguided, not very sophisticated weaponry against a military might that has some of the most sophisticated weaponry um, in the world. And, I mean, we buy some of our own military equipment from Israel. Because yeah. Israel's gotten so good at creating good military equipment. And um, so it's not a fair fight uh, no, by any I mean, stretch of the imagination. There's definitely an asymmetrical sort mm -hmm. of understanding. And um, and it's, it's, it's not a fair fight, right? One is a, is a nation and the other is um, a group of people operating off of a very small slip of land. So it is not a fair fight, um, and you know that adds to to the sadness of it, and that adds to the to the tragedy of it all. It does because it's it. I mean, it's any loss of life is terrible, right? But when there is an asymmetrical loss of life, that means there is an asymmetrical burden, I believe. Um, yes, and it's it's very difficult to you know it's very difficult to watch this. My hope, my biggest hope is, and I believe that we're pushing for it right now, is that when there are these peace talks, which thank God there is a ceasefire right now. Yes. When there are these peace talks, we can push further and get a longer lasting peace, a peace that speaks to the people. Because the truth of the matter is that this conflict is not a conflict of the majority of people. No. This is not a religious conflict. This is a political conflict. It is. Um, and this and the conflict does not speak for the majority of people um so the majority of people have the capacity and there's a lot of work being done to get along to heal to make peace 
to make sure that all people have a right to self-determination in that land, um, you know, to really bring things back, bring things to a place of, of, of cooperation. Um, and so I hope that we can move towards that. I hope so. I also want to talk a little bit too about um, our own, I want to get to us, uh, Max's question first, um, yes. and that is, what can we as non-Jewish person do to support what's going on in your view? Um, become educated on it. Really do the work. Make sure that the sources that you're sharing are nuanced and they're factually correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest, biggest thing that we do is folks share memes or they share things that, um, and I hate to use the term fake news, but I'm going to use the term fake news. Oh, no, go ahead. People share things that are so biased and mm-hmm. so extremist, and they don't recognize it, and thus people don't listen. Because either you have the folks on one side who take it at face value and believe it, and then they're fighting a scarecrow that doesn't exist, so they're not making any real change, or you have the folks who are sympathetic to a cause who re- see something that something that's extremist and feel like there's no place for them in that cause. Um, so it turns people away, and it's terrible. Yes. Um, so yes, become educated on it. Um, care about it as much as we care about other things. Make sure we're not holding any one place to a double standard, but also um, that we're aware and we're informed because, um, because there's a lot to be learned here, um, and it is, it's a human thing. I saw a a pastor here in the area share on Facebook the other day an article from a Jewish news source out of Israel and the headline read that terrorist Hamas agents had uh, fired missiles into Israel and you're sitting there going wait a minute (laughs) I I know that's the language being used by some media but that does not fully convey what's going on here. It really doesn't. And um, I also want to talk for a moment uh, about the American side of this because uh, um, I don't think people realize uh, America's hands in this conflict are not clean by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Politically, we as as a nation have supported keeping the conflict going rather than trying to actually build peace. And I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, we've sponsored peace talks and we've, you know, brought people to the table. Well, yeah, but ultimately at the end of the day, what the United States' political leaders have fought for is the eradication of Palestine and a complete takeover by Israel of the entire uh, area. Uh, we saw this especially under the previous administration where, you know, um, um, the previous president uh, signed off essentially on uh, Bibi Netanyahu annexing a huge portion of the West Bank. Um, you know, demolishing Palestinians' homes and taking it over as a Jewish portion. And so um, the United States' hands are not clean in this conflict. Um, We uh, routinely allow the violence to continue and don't speak up about it because 
so many fundamentalist Christians want the opportunity to bring about Armageddon. Yes. The end of the world. Bring Jesus back on a white horse, you know. <laughs> well, it's it's a really interesting thing. So um so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of political history as far as the settlements and as far as annexations and those things. And I don't want to like skate over any of that. But I also want to say very clearly that I think the majority of the settlements are an impediment to peace. Yes. Um, I think that, uh, that that's my personal opinion. Um, uh, and I know lots of folks who believe the same way. Um, but I also want to recognize the, uh, I want to recognize that there, you know, there are, there are some of these, some of these areas are less, it's less clear. And so it's difficult. But the majority of them, I believe, are an impediment to peace. It's bad. Um, uh, and, you know, nobody likes, like, nobody should be evicted from their home. Like, that's just, mm -hmm. that's just bad. Mm -hmm. um, but you were saying something, and I think I went off on a tangent. Um, can you remind me what it was? I'm sorry. Uh, America's hands aren't clean in this. Oh, yeah. yes. So... Essentially, the, the relationship that we have, the Middle East, Israel has been a part of the United States sort of political strategy in the Middle East um, and a linchpin of our foreign policy for forever. Um, uh, since, since, it, it, um, since, you know, the state of Israel was founded. And, um, and it makes sense for the United States for a lot of reasons. But the truth of the matter is that piece of land has been used as... Um, has been used as a power play for many, many peoples over the course of history. Um, and so the United States has our hands in it right now. Um, previous to that, it was in uh, British hands. Um, and it's been a sort of ever-evolving slip of land. I, it goes to show like the importance of that space, right? It is the holy space for Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Um, but it has been used in political power struggles for forever. It has. And unfortunately, um, because we use it as, essentially it's a bargaining chip for us, you know, um, to try to control the political uh, landscape of the entire Middle East. And... Um, Unfortunately, the people that get hurt in this are the regular civilians living in Israel, living in Palestine. You know, um, I think that both nations, I, I honestly believe Palestine should be recognized in, as a nation and um, allowed to have their own territory, you know, just like Wait. Israel. Hey. The, a two-state solution is, for most people, what they believe is the most viable, um, uh, because a two-state solution would would have, you know, Jewish self-determination in the land and Palestinian self-determination in the land, and it is important for both of these indigenous groups to have self-determination in that space. Okay. So I think a two-state solution is is a really good option. Mm -hmm. um, I also know plenty of people who think that uh, that a two-state solution wouldn't solve anything; it would simply be more fighting. Um, and that a one-state solution is what's necessary. Um, who should run that one-state solution is often a um, 
often a point of controversy. Of course, yes. Um, as you know, as one can imagine, it would be. Yeah. But I think that the majority of people who consider themselves Zionists believe in a two-state solution. Now, from your point of view, because I, I know this is the huge sticking point in any peace, any viable peace in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that is uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem's so difficult. <laughs> it, it, because, you know, both uh, both Palestinians and uh, Israelis um, claim Jerusalem for themselves. Right. Um, one of the things that I have long believed, and this, this has made me enemies all over the place, is that Jerusalem should be declared a neutral zone. That no one owns it. Um, and that Israelis and Palestinians should be allowed to move freely through Jerusalem as they see fit. Um, unfortunately, that is a hot button because, you know, um, it is a religious center for both uh, Arabs and Israelis. Um, so, I, do you think there is any solution to that? Because that ultimately ends up being, I think, the ultimate wedge that stops a viable peace solution. I couldn't, first of all, from my, my very privileged place here in the United States, I couldn't possibly come up with a solution that I believe is correct. Mm -hmm. But I know that the end goal would be that Jews and Palestinians um, and all peoples, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, would be able to worship freely in that space because it is, you know, it is the Temple Mount, it is Al-Aqsa Mosque, it is, um, um, it is Al-Aqsa Mosque, it is, um, it is a holy space of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I can't say it, did I say it right? Yes. (laughs) Um, is there, so all of these, and you know, Jerusalem is split into four quarters right now, um, and it is, it is essentially like, you go here, you stay here. Um, uh, not entirely, but sometimes like yes, that. Yes. And um, it, it is such an important space. So I recognize that, you know, that that is, that is the most difficult question for yes. um, any talk of peace. Um, you have that, I believe. You also have the settlements um, and, uh, and it, essentially a, a right of return for peoples. Right. And that is, to me, the big three. But again, I say it from a very privileged place here in the United States. I don't know what it's like to be there. I had the opportunity to be there for a couple of days of my life. Um, and it was beautiful. And I loved every second of being there. But I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. I understand. Yeah. That's a good answer. Very good answer. I don't think anybody has a solution that is correct. Um, because this conflict... Uh, predates all of us by thousands of years. Um, You know, uh, 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 the Jewish people and the the Palestinian people have been at odds far longer than any of us have been alive. (laughs) So, uh, there have been moments of peace and harmony. Yes. Where they have lived together in harmony. But ultimately, it always comes back to this age-old fight. And... And the thing that the thing that strikes me most about this is that um, we can look at a religious point of pain if we want to. Like mm-hmm. we can go try to find a religious point of pain, and it's there. But 
what that story also tells us is that we are siblings. You know, we are, we are brothers and or cousins. And we should have, and for the most part, do have a vast amount of respect for one another. Um, The truth of the matter is that uh, it is written in rabbinic law and it's the same in Muslim law. Um, uh, uh, Yes. Uh, it, it is the same that we can eat each other's food if we can't find a kosher place. Like, if I can't find someplace kosher, I can eat halal food. And the same happens to be true if you're Muslim. So, we have the capacity to heal this. Um, and most people do. Most people on the ground are fine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a much, the problem is in power structures. As they always are. It's a political fight. It is. And for most people, they don't want to be involved in the politics. <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's a very interesting question because um, it, I think especially in the past, you know, the past few years, we have seen the importance of being involved politically. Yes. We have seen the importance of doing that education because when we don't, we allow things to happen um we sort of stay out and we just let you know we let the people who are intent on claiming power for themselves do that yes um and when we're educated we stop that when we're educated we do something about it um and i don't just mean like fancy college education because that's not what i'm talking about at all like i'm talking about (laughs) knowing what's going on in your community and being able to advocate for yourself and and you made a good point earlier unbiased sources you know oh, yes. because there is so much misinformation uh, we had the privilege of speaking with a gentleman in Turkey yesterday here on our lives wow. and um, one of the things that he devolved into of course he was inebriated but uh, one of the things he devolved into was talking about 9-11 and, uh, of course his misconception being that all the Jews took holiday um, during 9-11. And I go, well, you know, there were 400 Jews that died in the in the World Trade Center. I, they either didn't get the memo or... I mean, because of the space lasers, the Jewish space the sp- lasers. The Jewish space lasers, yes. And so, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it just goes to show you have to look at unbiased sources because there is so much misinformation out there. And um, you spoke about it a moment ago, too. Um, there's also been an uptick in anti-Semitism, um, which is, of course, against one of our rules here. We don't allow anti-Semitism here in our lives. But um, we uh, um, we have seen a huge uptick in that in the last few weeks uh, here in the United States and abroad. And um, it's important to remember, I think, for everyone that um, just because a person is Jewish or just because a person comes from Israel or has uh, Israeli heritage does not make them culpable in everything that Bibi Netanyahu decides to do. <laughs> no more no more than you can blame every American for Donald Trump. I mean, it's just it's not fair. And so... Um, you know, we have to remember that at the end of the day, um, we are all human beings. Uh, we all bleed the same. 
and um, and honestly, having worked here uh, locally with um, our Jewish rabbi and the Muslim imam, I can tell you, I mean, they're best friends. I mean, they're they're best friends. They talk on a regular basis and do things together on a regular basis. Um, there is little conflict between the three Abrahamic religions uh, beyond what we create of our own. And so it's important that we show everyone respect um, and love and care and concern. Um, that's okay, Spider. Um, so what do you want to see happen in the world Max ask. Wow, that's a that's a question. <laughs> that's a very big question. I think what I would like to see happen in the world at large is for us all to uncover the sparks of divinity in ourselves and in all of the things that we do and in each mm -hmm. other, so that we can truly recognize um, the fact that we are all created by Salam Elohim or um, mm -hmm. in the divine image. Um, I think that too often we become we become tools to somebody else. Um, we become an object to be acted against instead of a person to be acted for. Um, and so that is what I would like to see in the world. Um, hopefully that would lead to peace. I would certainly hope so. <laughs> Because we have enough violence in the world today, uh, we don't need any more. Um, uh, are there any other questions um, uh, for Haley? Uh, feel free to type them there in the chat as we go along. Um, so tell us now, um, as we enter uh, summer and begin leaving summer, what are some of the upcoming Jewish holidays you're looking forward to? Uh, looking forward to Tuvav which is uh, Jewish Valentine's Day. Huh? Um, what is coming up is uh, Tisha B'Av, which is a fast that uh, commemorates the destruction of the temple. Mm -hmm. um, that's coming up in, I believe, July this year. Let I need to share something with you, Bishop, because sure. we are totally unprepared. Let me tell you what is about to happen in the Jewish calendar. Okay. Um, all of the holidays, are about to be almost a whole month earlier than we are prepared for them to be. <laughs> and I am not ready. <laughs> so It does um, fall like that sometimes, doesn't it? It does. It just it happens. Um, because in the Jewish calendar, we have a leap month instead mm -hmm. of a, a leap day. So we have a whole extra month in order to fix things when it gets like this. But, um, yes, it's a whole extra month. Um, and it's a great month. But um, this year, uh, I believe something like Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is, is all in the beginning of September or something. Oh my, that is very early. And I'm not ready. <laughs> um, but yes, we just had Shavuot, which is wonderful. We will have sort of the summer months, um, and uh, then we will come out of those summer months and head into the months of rebirth and regeneration, which is good. Yes, New Year's will be coming up before we know it uh, in the uh, right. Jewish calendar. There's a, a really good book um, about 
the uh, about the high holy days in the Jewish tradition, which we're still far enough away from. I can't believe I'm talking about them already, but um, it says this is real and you are woefully unprepared or something like that. That's almost the title. Um, and it's maybe one of my favorite things on the planet. <laughs> Well, I feel that, especially when Easter comes early in our calendar, um, I feel that all too well because uh, it's like we go right from Christmas and then, oh crap, we're in Lent, and now we're at Easter, and you're like, wait a minute, we didn't even get the Christmas tree down yet. (laughs) It's too much, it comes too quickly. It does, it certainly does. But they are all wonderful celebrations, and and having experienced many of them growing up, um, as my family woefully inadequately tried to celebrate Jewish holidays, um, I um, I have a fundamental respect for Judaism and um, the rich history of your holidays, and um, you know the whole concept. Uh, for me that I've incorporated into my own Christian walk is the idea that it doesn't matter if the stories in the Torah are true. Uh, what matters is the message behind them. Yes. What God is trying to say to us. And uh, so I, I push that routinely because I think we get hung up on this literalism notion in Christianity Everything in Scripture must be literal. Well, I don't care if Ruth actually existed. I don't care if Esther actually existed. The point of the story is, you know. And so trying to share that notion that essentially uh, all of Scripture, uh, and especially the Jewish Scriptures, is basically God's love letter to his people. Yeah. um, Where God shows us a tremendous amount of love and mercy, and a lot of people don't uh, understand that. They don't see what they consider the God of the Old Testament. I hate that term. I was going to say that, Bishop. I, I was going to say how impressed I am that that is the language that you chose to use for um, for the Hebrew Bible, because so often we get this, um, what is pervasive in sort of American culture, um, and I don't want to say that it's in Christianity because I don't believe it to be the case in Christianity, but I do believe it to be the case in sort of American culture, is that um, the idea of the quote-unquote Old Testament as angry God and <laughs> the idea of the Testament as loving God. Yes. And I'm like, first of all, if you're a Christian, that's the same God, so <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, but as a Jew, you've never seen, you've never seen god in that light as angry and um and i mean yes there there are those aspects mm-hmm. but the covenant itself is a covenant of chesed a covenant of loving kindness um and it is out of mutual respect and love and adoration that we undertake the covenant in the same way that the covenant was given to us so yeah. Fundamentalist Christianity tends to, and I say it that way for a reason, fundamentalist Christianity tends to teach this concept, and I hate the term, the uh, uh, Old Testament God. Oh. You know, that angry, vengeful, genocidal, you know, 
kind of God, and their notion is that when Jesus came, Jesus basically put a, um, uh, basically gave God rose-colored glasses, and so uh, because Jesus came and died, suddenly God's pacified, and we don't need to worry about God being angry and vengeful, and it's almost a um, uh, Hellenistic, a, a Greek uh, God motif of Zeus, you know. I tell people that all the time. God's not Zeus. You know, he's not sitting up there with lightning bolts ready to just strike you. I mean, it's, it's just not who God is. And I view God in the Old Testament as a very loving God, a very patient God. I mean, look at the number of times people turned against him. <laughs> yes. And you know, Times that the Jewish people, if or the Hebrews, just turn away and do something. I mean, five minutes after getting out of Egypt, we're like worshiping a golden calf. Like, yeah. hello, we just got out. Like, what are you doing? And, and God's standing there, going, "Okay, come on back. I love you. Still here for you. Just pay attention." Like. <laughs> You know, so I mean, this notion that God is this vengeful and angry God, I just don't see that. I don't understand that concept. But it's also a concept born out of anti-Semitism. Because a lot of those fundamentalist Christians still blame Jews for Jesus' death. Well, Jesus wasn't killed by the Jews. Jesus was killed by the Romans. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> and, um had many of those conversations in my life I've mm -hmm. unfortunately been called a Christ killer probably more than any other slur I've been called that is terrible um, and um, it's it's sad um, I think the Jewish people are probably the only people who have been accused of deicide I don't know if that's true but I think we might be the only people accused of killing a god in modern um, history yes <laughs> yeah. I mean like uh, yes in modern history <laughs> Um, so I, I, that's an interesting one to walk around with, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it, it is, there's, there's, there's a couple of concepts that have their sort of birth and their origin in anti-Semitism, um, that, that we are very legalistic, um, that we're just about ritual and there's no sort of intention behind it. There's no meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, that. Old Testament angry God is another one that is sort of born out of this um, anti-Semitism. Yes. Um, and it's sad. It's it sad. sad. Mostly because it leads to a misreading of Old Testament scriptures. It does. Um, I think as a as a Christian, especially as a Catholic, um, I have I have many friends who are um, beautiful. Uh, they're deeply Catholic and theologians in their own right and wonderful humans. Mm -hmm. And um, they've spoken to me about the ways in which if you look at if you look at the Old Testament with a Jewish lens mm -hmm. you get a much deeper understanding of it oh so. agree completely absolutely and that's why we also stress so much about context you have yes. to understand what was going on at the time the people to whom it was written to um, is also very important um, you can't take uh, the God of the Old Testament and apply modern Western thinking right. to Eastern thinking. Right. Um, because you end up with this 
that's where you end up with this skewed view of God. And so, um, um, but you also have to understand the history that so many people in in, uh, in Eastern theology, whether it be Jew or Muslim or Christian, has a much greater appreciation for that we in Western theology have never learned. We have no concept of what um, the Jewish people went through. Um, I mean, we read the stories in the Old Testament and think we have a good grasp on it, but we truly don't. We really don't, because there's a lot left out of the Bible. <laughs> I feel that way um, because I, I, I also I, I care very much about interfaith work as evidenced by um, Interfaith Podcast. Yes. But um, I care very much about interfaith work, and so I, I have taken it upon myself to also learn the um, the holy texts of other faiths. Mm -hmm. But it's not the kind of thing that you can just sit down and read and suddenly you know it. That's right. It's, it, it has to happen in conversation. And Great. so when we respect each other and listen to one another, we can learn so much more than if I just sit down and read your book without your, you know, without your understanding. I agree completely. Max wants to know, why do you think God lets bad things happen? I know free will, but some people have what seemed like more bad happened to them than others. Um, so there's a couple of concepts with that. And I, I, again, I want to be really careful because oftentimes when people ask this question, it's not, it's not simply a rhetorical question. It's not simply a question about hypothesis. Mm -hmm. It's a question about something that they're struggling with. So um, it's a question of what pain are you experiencing in this moment and how can we help you? Um, so I want to be careful that I'm not just philosophizing and theologizing, um, but I'm actually addressing the specific issue. So at the risk of not being able to do that, I am going to say this next thing, but I want to give you the permission to uh, leave it if it doesn't resonate with you. So um there is a concept that I find really beautiful in um, Jewish thinking called symptom. And that is that God left room for creation mm -hmm. by withdrawing. So in the absent spaces or in the spaces where we think, um, in the spaces where we think we need more, mm -hmm. that is the space that we are supposed to occupy. So as a human, I am supposed to go and fix these problems and fix these things. Mm -hmm. So if I, I'm sorry, I'm getting so many text messages right now. That's okay. It's a problem. Um, but, but why does God allow bad things to happen to good people is the title of a fantastic book that you can read on it. Um, there's a fantastic Jewish book on it. But the short answer is that because we have the capacity, the responsibility, and the capability to step up and stand in the gap. So um, when bad things happen, when we are hurt by something, that is the space in the world that we are supposed to do something about. We have the capacity and the capability to do it. Um, so there's that. Um, and then the other thing is that Oftentimes, we lose sight of the bigger picture. We lose sight of beyond our own selves. And something that may not make sense in the immediate will make sense later. Um, but that's not always the case. There are just bad things that happen to people. 
um, uh, there are just sad moments. And I think that if you talk to anyone who has, you know, especially if you talk to the Jewish people at all, theology changed after the Holocaust. We wrestle with that. And we believe that God can handle our wrestling with that. That is something that we believe. And so God is there to take that question when we're angry about it. Very good. That's excellent. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay. So um, uh, that was a good question. Thank you, uh, Max. Um, I appreciate that. Well, we have had a wonderful time tonight. Uh, I did lose track of time a little bit, so <laughs> um, I don't know exactly where we are. Maybe a little shy, but um, I do want to thank you for coming. Uh, Will <laughs> Spider's already saying we need I a part three. <laughs> well, we may try to get you here um, in September to talk about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, it'll probably be after they are done because we're taking the month of August off. But uh, uh, <laughs> you'll be able to talk about kind of it in retrospect. But um, there are also two uh, very important holidays in the Jewish calendar um, that I think that uh, most people don't know anything about. And uh, unless, of course, you've studied a lot of eschatology, you have no concept of what they are at all. I'm probably never heard of it, so because <laughs> when you deal with eschatology, you deal a lot with uh, the whole notion of Jesus will come back sometime around Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Long story, but anyway, um, but <laughs> um, we'll try to get you back for a part three to talk about uh, those holidays as well. Thank you so much for being willing to come and talk to us, especially after a long day of uh, rest. <laughs> Thank you for rearranging everything in order to be able to do it. I really no problem. appreciate it. We so enjoy having you here. It's It's been a wonderful time. And um, if people want to learn more about you or, or chat with you, do you have a way they can connect with you? Um, find me on you now right here. Find me on um, Instagram. Um, the Haley Beth is my name. Uh, H-A-Y-L-E-Y-B-E-T-H. Um, uh that's a really great way um and otherwise i'm also on tiktok but i forget my handle on tiktok <laughs> there in a while just hit me up on instagram and we'll make stuff happen from there wonderful the Haley beth on instagram so um we'll make sure that that link gets put into our uh, podcast and everything as well so um but thank you for joining us and we will see you again soon i hope Thanks. all right so, like I always say, um, we do have a Facebook page if you'd like to check it out, facebook.com forward slash expanding your faith, uh, where you can find out more about our podcast. Next week, we're going to have a representative from the Baha'i religion to come and talk to us about uh, the Baha'i religion. Uh, it's taken a lot to get them. And if you know anybody in the Sikh religion that might be willing to come, we're also open for that as well, having trouble finding someone from the Sikh religion to come and speak with us. Until next week, I hope you all have a great week. God bless you, and see you next Saturday.